Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I am going to be talking about Gabriel Deck and his official signing from the Oklahoma City Thunder and I'm also going to be talking about another guy who is reportedly going to sign with the Thunder next season and Vasile Micic and how he may not be a done deal just yet. So just starting out with Deck. I actually thought that his first name was just Gabriel. I mean, that is how it is spelled out. But that is actually not the case. It's Gabriel, I believe. I might even need to change that a third time. But that is from what I've seen. I think it's Gabriel Deck. And we finally got him. So last Friday is when we first got reports of him potentially signing with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Came from Chema De Lucas. And he said that there was a deal in place. Really no foundation on what that deal would have been, but he just said that there was a deal for Deck to come over and play for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And he was correct on that front. We didn't know what the deal was. It was assumed to be a three-year contract, and we learned in yesterday's uh, news, and I believe it was in yesterday's podcast as well, that the contract details were going to be a four-year deal that would be worth up to $14.5 million dollars. Now, it's non-guaranteed from years two through four, but that's four years you could potentially have with Gabrell Deck. And that news, by the way, came from Andrew Schlecht of Down to Dunk. Really good podcast, and I believe he may have talked to Chayman Lucas about that as well, because I know he was also on one of Schlecht's podcasts earlier on in the week. So, very good. And what we are getting in Deck, it has been a long time coming with him. And now it's all etched in stone. So we are going to have him. The deal itself is going to be front-loaded. So if you don't know what that is, the beginning salary with him is going to be about 10% larger than that of what he'd be making at the tail end. I believe actually it might be more than 10% in this case because his first season with us is going to be this year. He's coming into play for the remainder of the season. He's making $3.87 million. That's all guaranteed. And then second year, you're going to drop down by around $200,000. He's going to be making $3.67 million. That is non-guaranteed. And in years three and four, he's going to be making identical salaries and $3.48 million. You have a team option for the fourth season. And then also in the third year, I believe there is some sort of guaranteed date somewhere in September. I will need to check back up on that, but it is there's a guaranteed deadline, whereas in that second year, you're not going to see one. So I guess that's a little bit different and something you could potentially see used. I think it's really just a home run attempt from the Oklahoma City Thunder. This is a really just low-risk play by them. All this money that they're going to be using, the three point eight seven million dollars they would have had to use anyway because they were not at that you know salary floor and this is something I mentioned in yesterday's episode but really what that is is it's kind of like a minimum salary that teams have to dedicate towards players and it's 90 percent they did not meet that threshold until this deal so they really just gave him everything to get them right to that floor to where they're not just spreading around, you know, close to $4 million across their 15 or 14 guys at hand. So they use that money instead of just letting it not go to waste per se, but just give everybody on the roster bonuses. They're going to get another guy that they could 
use and potentially uncover another future gym with. And if that's the case, I mean, this is an extremely good contract. When you compare Gabriel's contract to some of the other small forwards and power forwards you see in the league, it's really nothing. I mean, in total, when you're talking four years, 14.5 mil, that that's tiny. You see decent players at the three and four making close to eight figures a season anyways. So we really got him on a really smart deal here. And the fact that it's not all guaranteed, there's really no room for this to end up missing because let's say he comes in this season, has a terrible debut with us, is not even able to compete in like a bench roll or anything, and he's terrible in training camp. It's not going to be an issue. You cut your losses here, and there's really no losses because, like I said, that money would have been used anyways. So it's a very smart move by Presti, Dagnall, just everybody in the front offices as well to go out and find somebody with remaining money instead of letting it just kind of go to waste. So we're going to see Deck come in and hopefully he's able to make a pretty solid impact. He's already 26 years old, 6'8", 232 pounds, so he has the body. He's been a professional player since the age of 15, so he already has 11 years under his belt. So he's coming in and he's already going to have kind of that veteran presence and because of his first year salary he's actually going to get paid exactly like one and I talked about it yesterday but uh he's already entering as the fourth oldest member of the team Al Horford's 34 Mike Muscala's 29 and Kendrick Williams is also 26 but he's a couple months older than him so really you could try to vie if you want to say he's like tied for third but yeah, I'd, I'd rather just stick to the, the fourth uh, oldest member. That's still a pretty good accolade to have attached to yourself. And he's getting paid the third most out of active players on the roster. Only people getting paid more than him, Al Horford, who was on that just mammoth of a contract, making over $27 million this year, 27.5 mil to be exact. And then SGA on his rookie scale contract, he's making $4.1 million. And I think the person right below deck in terms of salary is Tony Bradley. By a couple hundred thousand dollars, he's on the final season of his rookie scale deal. And then he's going to hit restricted free agency. We'll see what happens with him. But yeah, he's getting paid pretty well. And as time progresses, it's not going to look as lucrative because all the people we have under tabs right now, they're essentially just on rookie contracts or we got them on minimum deals. You know, we're talking players like Lou Dort, Moses Brown, who go undrafted, have to work their way back up. Yeah, they're not on a technically a rookie-scale deal, but it's pretty damn close. Like, they are not guaranteed anything. Dort just got guaranteed in the past month, and Moses Brown has not. And then all the rookies and guys like Kenrich Williams that you kind of throw in, who you got on just bargain, of a, bargain deals, and you didn't end up waving him, and now look at what he's doing. One of the better contracts in the entire NBA. That is the hope for Gabriel Deck, and he's coming in with the experience, as I mentioned, the 11 years, already has a whole collection of accolades, won three Spanish Super Cups, three LMB championships, that is Argentina's Premier League, out of those three championships, two of those finals MVPs, was an MVP as well in 2018, and then he moved over to Real Madrid in the Euro League, where he did pretty solid, averaged a little bit below 10 points per game, 9.7 points, 
3.8 rebounds and 1.2 assists in 58 games. Always mention it when I talk about deck or just anybody coming from the Euro League. Much different style of game because of how the pace works. Smaller floor. You have no defensive three-second violations, so you're always going to have a center just log jamming the paint if you don't have a stretch five at hand. And with um, Real Madrid, their starting center has been Eddie Tavares, and he's not really that good of a shooter. We saw him in the NBA for like a season or two. And he was just a beast around the rim. I think he's like 7'2", 7'3", almost 7'4". I don't even know. He's just super tall. So he's an inside guy, kind of just set screens. Not a real perimeter threat, though. So Deck, he can come in and potentially show off some penetration skills. I would really just chalk him up as another guy. I, I keep talking about Kendrick Williams, but that's really the best comp because he's able to kind of slide from the 3 to 4. And he's not great at anything like he's not an elite level at anything I'd say his best trait is passing the basketball and just the way he's able to get his passes off like he will do behind the head passes he'll throw passes around players like I'm talking he's wrapping his arm midair going around a a defender to make a pass go through and then just the no looks that you've seen from just a, a number of different Thunder players this season so he has that kind of plethora of moves and he doesn't have a a ton of turnovers so he's pretty good in that regard so I think as a kind of another playmaker that you can enhance the roster with he'd be very very solid we already have so many great guys when it comes to passing SGA Maladone Poku Roby's kind of getting there you throw in a guy like Deck and then also I guess you could say Baisley as well he's kind of improving there but yeah just a lot of elite people you know, you're going to add in another guy who has that kind of European style of play where your game is kind of already refined. Like, you're not really prone to having a ton of really stupid mistakes. And uh, when they do, it's kind of due to overachieving, as you've seen from Poku. But yeah, I'd say he's a pretty grounded guy who's going to come in and do decent. I think as a bench guy, you kind of just plug him and play him in, and that would be that. But as I did with my evaluation, kind of just going to reiterate what I did last week. So if you guys recall when I talked about Gabrell, originally I did, you know, just some YouTube scouting. I've still looked at some more and I've added a couple more notes, but I'm kind of just going to tell you guys a bit about him from what I've seen on how he's played. I think he has a really good turnaround jumper, really good pull up. Both of those are very very fast releases and it's hard for defenders to kind of turn around and be able to make a solid contest on those so that's his strong suit when it comes to shooting the basketball his release point is very high on those as well and when he drives in he's very aggressive I know I talked about it but Vit Kredge is really similar to him he's not very fast Kredge's also six seven six foot eight but um you know the way that they play it really doesn't matter. They kind of exit out the fact that they're not super fast at their position. Like he will charge right into two different defenders and be able to lay a lay a layup in perfectly. And that's the kind of strength that you kind of want on the roster. We've been building that with so many different guys anyways. So I, I think that's just really wonderful on how he does there. I think if he was really weak around the basket, it'd really just end up hurting him because he does have a tad bit of a shaky three like we don't know for sure if he's a perimeter threat yet so it's nice to know he will be able to rely on penetrating and just bumping into defenders to make contact that also is going to lead to free throw shots as well 
which is always a major plus. And when it comes to converting at the free throw line, he's been really solid all throughout his career. Shot 78% as a career. And with Real Madrid this season in the Euro League, he has shot 83% from the floor. So if you're ever kind of looking at scouting college players, typically you look at the free throw. And if it just drastically jumps from year to year, that should be a good indicator that his three would be destined to shoot up. And the only hitch to that is when you got a super ugly jumper, maybe that might not be the case. But uncontested at that line, Deck is a guy that you can really rely on. So sweet there. And I, I talked about the passing as well. I'd say that's one of his primary focal points as a player. Defensively, you know, he's not going to wow you in one particular area. In fact, as a rejector like he's not very good at blocking shots at all when it goes to the passing lane he averaged 0.7 in those Euro league games so that's nice um you just got to kind of work on blocking shots doesn't seem like a big rim protector but all that matters is if he's going to be able to play at multiple positions as a defender and he's played at the three and four throughout his playing career and if he can move right in to the thunders lineup and be both a player at the three and four it's going to be amazing for us and he's gonna kind of be in a weird position as will a lot of other people because the three and the four have been getting really tight in terms of minutes and it's really started with how Poku has just broken out like I think he almost deserves a starting role like he he does deserve to be starting let me change what I said there the way he's played he's gonna garner like 30 minutes a game Bayes just came back he's gonna have to get 20 to 30 minutes is a game as well Williams he's kind of been sliding to the two but now a Dort back he's gonna get promoted probably up to the three and four at times Roby now with Brown and Bradley together he's not gonna see as much small ball five and that means more three and four so you probably have four to five guys just fighting for 96 minutes at the three and four spots and it's very tough to do that when your two starters in Bayes and Poku are going to be taking away over half of those minutes anyways. And your two other potential guys coming off the bench, they've done well in starting roles this year in Isaiah Roby and Kenrich Williams. We haven't seen Roby in a bit, but when he comes back from injury, he's going to get some sort of time you'd imagine. And that's me not even discussing our two two-way players who with Hall, he's more just a straight up three. But with Jalen Horde, he's been playing the three and the four, and he has killed it. He is not playing like a typical two-way player. You know, he's only 22 years old. If he continues what he's been doing, he'd without a doubt find, you know, maybe a two-year deal. I don't know if it'd be guaranteed or not, but he'd find a real NBA standard contract somewhere if he keeps playing. But the problem is, you're going to limit those minutes, and someone's going to have to get the short end of the stick, and it's really rough. You know, I think with SGA out, it does help with Williams being able to slide down to the two for some points in the game. But whenever you're going to get him back, you're going to have to really screw somebody over. And it sucks saying it that way, but, you know, all of these guys at the forward spots for us have just been so good. And I think for everybody, like, players have had up and down games, but overall, like, they have been really good bench pieces. Like, everybody that we've seen they would have been primo pickups you know whenever we were contending 
for playoff spots like three to five years back, you know? So the fact you're kind of going to screw one of them over is very tough. And I don't really know how that decision is going to be made. But if you're going to bring Deck in and, you know, you're really just trying to search for if he's going to be able to be a valuable, valuable guy in the future, he's going to get some sort of minutes, you'd imagine. And I don't know. What do you do? Like, tell Baisley he's good for the remainder of the year? I don't think you'd do that. You're not going to tell Horde or Hall to pack their bags prematurely. You're not going to say that to Roby or Williams. I mean, I know that they they can play kind of in different roles. They can definitely be in the rotations together, Deck and Roby or Deck and Williams or just any of them because of the diversity they have with all those players. But it's kind of a crunch. And I think ultimately what will happen for the games whenever Deck does come back or when he does debut for the team you're going to see just a ton of different rotations sprawling out all these mismatched players who have looked amazing and they deserve NBA contracts, but with how our team is going and us having so much future capital, they might not be able to stay with our team, if you know if that makes sense to you guys. So Deck, you're going to see him at the three and the four. You're going to see him playing in some wacky lineups. We've seen really dumb ones. Uh, I'm not going to say dumb, actually, just creative ones like Tony Bradley and Moses Brown playing with each other. Lineups where you had Hamadou Diallo running the point guard. Now, was that because Dagnall wanted to draw it up or because it was necessity? I would never tell you, but it happened. And then you also had times where you didn't even have Diallo. You had players like Kenrich Williams and Isaiah Roby taking up the basketball for you. So it's been a weird year for the Thunder, and that's not going to change whenever Deck comes in. So you just want to see him and see where he he can kind of improve upon himself because he's 26. Whenever his deal is over, if he goes the full length, is going to be 29. So he'd hit the open market really just in his prime. So that's where he'd be getting the main money. So you just want to use him now and you know see if he can continue to be an NBA player with the Oklahoma City Thunder. So I'm pretty psyched about it. I know that a lot of fans in Argentina are too. I'm gonna get a lot more fans swirling in. We've already seen it with, uh, you know, Serbia and France when we picked up Maladone and Pogashevsky, even Jalen Horde, who has um, had roots from France too. So, been pretty fun on how we've kind of picked guys from different areas, and we do kind of have a unique play style. Do you attribute it to that? I don't know. I think the game is just played differently everywhere across the world. So for us to get guys from different areas, it's always nice because I think what we're doing is we're making a roster just assembled like no other in the league, just um, with all the different playmakers and stuff that we have gotten and how they're able to really contribute in different areas. Like they're not just playmakers. They can also shoot the basketball, this and that. So it's been sweet how we've done it and just really nice to see more players um, come in for us. I didn't mention kind of the downsides I had with him. There's not many. I think the main one is just his set shot. Like his face-up jumper takes way too long to charge up. It's worked in the Euro League. If he's wide open, like it's not a concern, but he's not going to be able to take contested shots. And that could be a major problem for him. If he's just sitting in the corner and SGA hits him up on a driving dish, you're good to go. I guess it just kind of limits his boundaries on where he'd be able to work from beyond the arc. You know, not a 
off the dribble type of guy at least right now he'd need to fix his jump shot for something like that to develop but that's why he's here Sam Presti and Dagnalt they have a huge line of player development so probably no better spot for him to resort to than Oklahoma City only other thing that I had with him is he's not particularly fast and he's not too athletic kind of covered that in how he plays inside the paint where he's just super aggressive and I think he makes up for it there so he's a net positive for the team and as I talked about little to no risk for him and just something I found a little bit interesting with him is he has a nickname El Tortuga or in English the turtle um, from where he's played he's kind of garnered that name for himself and you kind of get a combo here. I, I saw on Twitter, you know, Tortu and Poku. That could be a potential nickname tandem. I do think that whenever Deck's back and when Poku is healthy, they're going to be in lineups. So you're going to see some of that in your timelines. So just be prepared for it. And if he continues to skyrocket, you know, and follow that same path Poku has kind of had, where just really out of nowhere improvement, you're going to see that, you know, for much longer than a brief month or so until we hit the end of the regular season. If you guys want to know when the potential debut date is going to be, it was projected April 23rd by an ESPN reporter. We don't know for sure, though, because he has to get through immigration. He's in that process right now, so it needs to be finalized before he can come over to the States and play for the Thunder. Don't know how long that's going to take. I don't really know a projection on it either. You just kind of have to wait and see with him one thing we do know on when he is going to return to the floor for us he's going to be wearing number six taking it right from Hamadou Diallo I'm going to go out on a limb and say Dex's primary number of choice actually was already off the board he's worn number 14 for a while now he worn it in the world cups and he also wore it with Real Madrid but Shvima Kailuk already took it so about by a month or so he's not gonna be able to get his jersey number he'll settle for jersey number six and hey you get the jersey number that you end up moving out to get Shvi Luke and Hamadou Diallo I'd call it full circle but that would literally be insane to do that so I just think it's cool little tidbit from him and we cannot wait to see him play just keep checking on YouTube if you want to see his highlights hopefully I did a good description of what I saw from him you know if you want to kind of scout for yourselves feel free to do so have any pointers for me make sure to tell me just got to click on my name in the podcast description it will take you to my twitter where you can direct message me about whatever it can be about deck be about the thunder whatever it may be just shoot me a message and I will make sure to reply to it or put it into one of these podcast episodes if I find it fitting But moving on to the next story for the Thunder, we're going to be talking about Vasilei Micic. And this was a guy who we thought would be signing with the Oklahoma City Thunder last week, as well as Deck. With Deck, we thought it would be this year. It is going to be this year. That's where he's starting. But with Micic, it was going to be planned for next season. But as we know now... It is no done deal in terms of if he will be signing with the Oklahoma City Thunder. And it gets a little bit tricky here, but here's what we know. Michich's agent went on to a Greek television broadcast called Jumball 
and they were just interviewing him, and they addressed the Michich to Oklahoma City rumors and if he'd be signing there. And his response to that was, this is completely false information. The full quote to this would be, this is completely false information. It's not possible at this time of the year to talk seriously with NBA teams. I believe he is the best guard in Europe, and he deserves to be in the NBA. And I really believe that he will be next year in the NBA at OKC or somewhere else. We will know in July. So from there, I mean, no lies were told. Oklahoma City, apparently there has been no deal on them moving on towards the future, but it's still kind of open. So it makes sense why why there were rumors saying that he would be signing with the Oklahoma City Thunder next year because if he declined his contract in which he did with Andu FS of the Euro League then it almost be a surefire deal he would be coming over to the NBA and who has the draft rights lo and behold it is the Oklahoma City Thunder and he would have to sign with them if he were to join on unless there was a trade of some sort so it makes sense why that was the presumption turns out based on this report that it is not true and you kind of just go off from there from that quote no lies were told by his agent Miska Raznatovich but yeah I mean really his main point here from what we read was he has no communication with NBA teams right now because he cannot when it comes to deck it's a bit different because you know, he actually went into an early extermination clause with Real Madrid. It's worth around $2 million. We don't have the specifics on it, but it was a lot of money. Because he waived that early extermination clause, he was good to go. He could sign with the Thunder. But I don't think Micic has that ability right now. And if he does, he's not going to be waiving it. He's staying. And if he's going to leave, it's because he wants to play a full regular season. So you already took that out of the equation. And that's where you kind of get on the lines of his agent. And, you know, when you look at how free agency works and just signing on to players, you can't discuss before the moratorium date, which typically is like a day removed from the draft day. So we are two months away. I mean, the draft is slated for July 29th, I believe. Yeah, it's slated for July 29th. And as I'm recording this, it's only April 13th, so we have a long way to go from that. So he's not going to be able to discuss with teams probably until early August. And even if he does, you know, discuss with teams, whoever he has, whoever has his draft rights is going to have to sign him for a deal. And then it'd have to be some sort of sign and trade, but it kind of would be a little bit unique due to the circumstances. Really, the major way anything could happen would almost be over the phone Presti talking to other GMs and Michich's representation not even being on the line because you, that, that'd be considered tampering, right? But the way around that is, you know, if Presti wants to talk to some of these other GMs who are interested in Michich, which he should have some sort of market we know from last year, he had market from various different teams, he's still going to have that. And being that he's 27 years old, pretty good point guard, one of the best in Europe, if not the best, someone's going to fetch up something for him. So, you know, maybe it's a draft day deal where he gets thrown in the draft rights to Vasily Micic and you're good to go. 
and whoever gets him is going to sign him to the contract. That's the way around it, but you can't talk to the representation, and it's kind of like the Thunder are almost going to be the guys selling off Michich's rights. And if that's not the case, if Presti and everybody wants to hold on to him, that's a different story, and they can just say, you can either continue to play in Europe or you can sign with us, and then it'd potentially get ugly, but you don't really want to go into that. Point being, representation cannot be talking until early August, while Presti, he can talk about Micic right now with anybody he wants in the NBA circles. So there you go with that. If any deal is going to be made in terms of a trade, it's going to be made on draft day because that is when you're able to kind of throw in the draft day rights. You can throw them in whenever, I guess, but that would ideally be the case because then you have the free agency. And as you all know, you can't trade during free agency. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens with Michich. And whenever this article was written, I originally got this from Eurohoops, by the way, and that interview, you know, it kind of has that writing of he's not going to play with Oklahoma City, but that's still like, that's still something that could happen. It's just uncertain of where his final destination would be. It was a little bit awkwardly worded by his agents whenever he said in the NBA at OKC or somewhere else, but just know I mean, with OKC having his rights, they kind of hold all the leverage in terms of what goes on there. You know, they could go where he has to sign there or not, and then if not, you just trade him off, and I'd assume with the understanding he would play and sign a contract next year, you would get some sort of draft capital. Now, is Oklahoma City at that point where they want to be continuing to pile up second-round picks? I don't know. I mean, there's diminishing return and I feel like you would kind of be approaching that already with the Thunder right now. They have first-round picks into the 30s. I would be lying if I gave you a number right now, but it is that high. And the second-round picks, they're stacking up. In 2027, they have four of them already. So they're not going to be able to use all those picks. They have to be thrown in in trades. And let's say you get a first-round pick or two, or not a first-round pick, like one or two second-round picks. Sure, you can tinker around with those, but will you get lowballed eventually with them? Maybe. Maybe you just want to bring in a guy in Micic who's a certified vet, one of the best passers in the world, really, and use him as like a, a tutor for guys like SGA, Maladone, Poku, Deck, everyone new, and just have him as almost your your budget Chris Paul that we had a season ago, and it worked out really well in terms of development. Am I calling Micic Chris Paul? Not right now. In Europe, is he probably on that same level as Chris Paul? Yeah. Uh, you could probably make that case. But we haven't seen him over here yet. And I don't know. I think he'd be a really good player. I mean, he has been not just great as a passer, but also as a scorer from three, shooting around 36% on the season. So you can use him as kind of a catch-and-shoot guy. Can never not have enough of those. So we'd be set if we had him. But it's not, you know, as I talked about, 100%. And if he comes over, it seems like he would want minutes. And there are a lot of different interviews that Micic has taken up over the past year. Specifically last summer, whenever COVID was really at its peak in terms of how people were treating it and restrictions. Like, nothing was going on in terms of sports. So he was taking interviews. And in one of the interviews, he actually said that I don't want to just play in the NBA. If the situation goes wrong, 
I don't want to be proud of just being there. I want to be part of an NBA team to get to play. Playing in the NBA alone won't make me happy if I can't be significant there. In that interview, he's really just saying that, hey, look, if I'm going to the NBA, I'm not going there to just be a 15th man. I'm not riding the bench. I want to have some sort of meaningful minutes. Now, to go against this, you can find other articles where Michich has said, you know, I just want to be in a great system, and Oklahoma City probably has the best system in the league. I'm definitely biased when I say that, but I, I do think the Thunder fit that criteria of the elite kind of systems, and you can date back to some of the players just talking about the organization on how they feel. I mean, everybody kind of feels like this is a class franchise in the league right now, and I'd assume Michich could potentially enjoy that. So maybe he does like Oklahoma City, but... I think playing time would definitely be a big thing for him too. Going from one of these stars with his club, played with Shane Larkin. That was kind of a one-two combo, probably the deadliest duo in the EuroLeague last season to now just being like a 10-minute guy who doesn't play every game. He wouldn't want to do that. So I would think he'd want to play at least like 20 minutes a game in a bench roll. And in order to do that, you have to make some roster changes and it starts on how you're going to use the one and two positions because I think Micic can play at the one or two. Primarily, he's playing point, but he's had time with Larkin where he's played at the two, so I think he can do that just fine as well in Oklahoma City. But you have SGA, you have Teo Maladone, you have Ty Jerome, Shvi Mikhailuk, and Kenrich Williams. Shvi is not guaranteed for next year. He's hitting restricted free agency, so we don't know for sure if we're going to have him. But you know, even if Williams is there, that's still a pretty good group. That's like four guys who deserve minutes. And Micic also deserves minutes. And on top of that, you have a wild card here on how is the draft lottery going to pan out for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Because as of now, the Houston Rockets are tied for the worst lottery odds or the best lottery odds in the league. My apologies. So their chances of going outside of the top four are about 48 to 49 percent right now and if that's the case Oklahoma City gets the fifth pick and when it comes to Oklahoma City they are slotted at sixth right now in reverse standings so they have a 35 percent chance of cracking the top four and around an 8.3 percent chance of hitting the number one selection and if they get in the top five with one or two of those picks you know that guards will be on the top of their minds I mean three out of the top five picks are going to be point guards Kate Cunningham Jalen Suggs and Jalen Green unless there's some crazy curveball it's expected that all three of those are top five picks in the draft and if we get in there and Kuminga's off the board and Evan Mobley's off the board you're not going to go dip in for somebody else you're going to get a point guard or who can play at the two and that means what is going to happen to everybody else because Teo Maladone He's been a great starter, only 19 years old. He's going to project into a really good player. And I'm not talking a bench type of guy. I'm talking he could be a genuine, really good piece as a starter. And you'd have to move him to the bench if you get one of those point guards. Ty Jerome, he really goes into the shadows. Kenridge Williams, I don't know if he'd be playing as much as the, at the two position anyways. And Micic, he would be coming in as a one and two. But he wouldn't be in the limelight. I mean, Maladone has turned into a really good primary ball handler anyways. So it gets really sticky there. And I think as much as the Oklahoma City Thunder would want to bring him in and use him as a tutor, there's going to be a decision in the room 
where you got to kind of value, you know, veteran leadership or potential kind of um, in some of your other guys, like a Ty Jerome, Shima Luke, or Kenrich Williams. And if I was in Presti's shoes or whoever's shoes, I honestly would like Michich because of what he would bring. If you look at his tape, one of the best passers in the entire league, and that is translatable. You know, he's got probably some of the best basketball IQ at the point guard spot, and you need that to kind of preserve your players and build them up into the future. If he's going to join on, he'd be battling with Ty Jerome almost for sure for minutes, and Jerome has looked good. He's only 23, has had those games where he's had 20-plus points, got his career high with us this year, and he's gotten 15 points on multiple occasions. But, you know, do you want to put all your marbles into him, or do you want to sprout out and get someone Michich who can do some long-lasting damage for, you know, like four different guys who are all under the age of 22 years old? So it's a it's kind of a brain twister there. I like him. We don't know what's going to happen, though. So don't 100% expect that Michich is going to be suiting up in a Thunder jersey. That's a good chance, I would say. But also a good chance is we throw him into a playoff team. Draft night or hell, there's always that slim chance that he says, you know what, I don't like what these NBA teams are presenting me with. I'm going to go back to Andu FS. I'm going to go to Real Madrid. I'm going to go to the Euro League and continue my talents there because he already is a star in the league but we'll see what goes on good thing with deck we know he's going to be coming over sometime this year and also good thing because of how we have kind of panned out in these standings now being sixth in the reverse order and entering tonight we have a really good chance to improve our reverse standings again because the thunder are going to be going toe-to-toe against the league's top dog and the utah jazz they are the only team now 40 wins on the year right now. They are 40 and 14. They just came off a loss, though. I don't know how much weight you want to put into that. But they're coming in a little bit let down. It's going to be an 8 p.m. game, so I guess they have a little bit more time to work on it. I believe they played yesterday. And with us, we're coming in fresh off a two-day break. That is a total rarity this season. But going against them, when it comes to the injury report, Oklahoma City... They still got a pretty big list of players who are not going to be suiting up. Gabriel Deck, we know with him, he's just away with the team. It's going to be that way for a little bit. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is also out, we know, with his plantar fasciitis. Josh Hall's out, Mike Muscala's out, and Isaiah Roby, they're all out. But the big curveball is Alexei Pogashevsky, and he was showing some right arm soreness last game and shoot around end up playing anyways and it looks like he was still kind of uncomfortable with it he ended up getting checked out of the game after eight minutes of play and he's still out due to his right arm soreness so you're gonna have a list of six players not playing for you and you're gonna see guys like Darius Baisley and Lou Dort have an opportunity again to fill SGA's shoes and be the leaders in the game also think some players to look out for Jalen Horde. He's going to have more time because of Pogashevsky being out. 22 years old, has looked amazing, finishing around the basket. We don't know what's going to happen when, when Gabriel Deck comes. So I think Dagnall and everybody just wants to see more and more of him. So see if he's able to go off for double digit points again against this Jazz defense, one of the better defenses in the entire league. See how Moses Brown does against one of the top rim protectors 
in Rudy Gobert. And let's see how Teo Maladon stacks up against an all-star point guard in Mike Conley. You can run down the line of every single player and how they potentially could go off because everybody on this team, there's always one guy who will make double digits out of nowhere or drop 20 points and it's like, whoa, what happened? It's going to be one of those games and I want to see the ball in Maladon's hands a ton. Baisley, same thing with him. Dort, he could go off. That's kind of the three headed group you're looking at but also with brown too because he has been in a tad bit of a slump and this is going to be one of his tougher opponents of the regular season tony bradley too he's living that good life ever since he's joined the thunder come off his best game with the team i think it was a 16.14 rebound night against his former team in the 76ers last game and now he gets to go up against his other former team in the Utah Jazz, had him for the first three seasons of his rookie deal and had him as a third stringer or just didn't give him enough time. He was a summer league legend, nothing more, nothing less. So he's on his revenge tour and it's heading right into Utah, going to be played in their arena. And as I talked about, 8 p.m. tip, so a little bit later than usual, but it gives you some time to kind of gather yourself. Not going to be those like 12 a.m. sort of games, but you're going to be up a little bit later than usual watching the game for some of you that might suck in my case i always love watching the night game so i'm pretty happy about it but other than that though guys that is going to wrap up today's episode i thank you all for listening and i will talk to you all next time see ya